Well, turn, if you will, in your Bibles to Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. We'll be looking this evening at these 11 verses. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. For you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed when I restore the fortunes of my people. Well, we return this evening to the accusations leveled against Israel. Throughout this book of Hosea, we have seen the unfaithfulness of that nation. They have been described again and again as those who seek the affections of others, who pursue for themselves an abundance of other lovers, who are not in any way faithful. And God enlists that example of Hosea himself, whom he instructs to take for himself an unfaithful wife. That Israel might see, might understand through this illustration, this example, might be reminded of their own guilt before God. A God who has proven himself throughout time faithful. A covenant-keeping God. One whose promises are sure. One who maintains what he has said. Even promises made to a people that is not faithful. The point of our study of this book of Hosea is that we too might be caused to reflect 
to look upon our lives, to examine ourselves and see whether we, like Gomer, are seeking an abundance of lovers, looking for ourselves, for other things to give to us pleasure, perhaps even examine ourselves and see that we may be like Gomer, attributing to others those things that we enjoy rather than rightly attributing them to God alone. You see, Gomer thought that she received her food, her shelter, her clothing from all of those others that she was pursuing. She failed to realize that it was the husband that she abandoned the husband whom she had treated falsely, unfaithfully, who was bringing to her all that she needed, even in the midst of her sinful pursuits. As we reflect upon these things, do we not ourselves look back to our lives when they were lived apart from Christ And marvel at what we once attributed to either the hand of others or perhaps more boldly and with pride attributed to our own strength or wisdom, our own shrewd dealings as being those things that were rewarded. And now in the light of Christ, as we have been by God's grace brought into that light of Christ, we now perhaps more clearly see the folly of that initial way of thinking. As he is pleased day by day to help us to understand our finiteness, our weakness, our need of that one who was faithful even when we were not. So this evening, as we look at this passage, we'll be looking briefly at three things. One, we'll be looking at God's discipline. We'll be looking at God's discipline, the benefits of it, perhaps even the discomforts that are ours when His discipline is necessary, and why it is that He would discipline us. Secondly, we'll be looking at a fool's fleeting affections. We'll be looking at the example of Israel and later Judah as they attest to how easily swayed, how their concentration upon that one who is their husband is so easily set aside. Their affections are not true and lasting, but rather fleeting. And thirdly, we'll look at the significance of breaking covenant with God. We'll look more closely at our tendencies to be bold in our sin. So let's look here at these first three verses. We see at the outset of our passage this evening the invitation That he is put forth, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. 
As Hosea begins under inspiration of the Spirit here in chapter 6, we are reminded that there is a purpose to discipline. Parents, we understand this to be the case, that, that discipline rightly administered has a point. And if it doesn't have a point, we also know that when we become inconsistent in the application of our discipline, it doesn't yield fruit, does it? But rather, the frustrations of our children, because they can't count on our word to remain the same today and tomorrow. They look at us with confusion on their face because we fail to administer discipline rightly, consistently, as we ought, when we ought. Why? Because we're sinful. One of the natures of our sinfulness is that we are lazy. Sometimes we can't be troubled to exercise our duties as parents, to discipline when we ought, as we ought, because we don't want to be troubled. And yet we see within this book of Hosea, we see within even this first verse, as he calls us to return to the Lord, that we would rightly understand his discipline as it is exercised faithfully, rightly, every time by our most holy God, that it is painful, that it may not be pleasant to us at the time, but that it has as its intent that we would be torn now that he might heal us, that he might remedy that which is broken within us, that he might right us from those tendencies towards sin that have been all too familiar to us. You see, this is the, the imploring of God that we would understand these things, that we would not despair when he would discipline us, but rather that we would rightly understand that these things come as an expression of his love for us, just as we have seen attested in Hebrews chapter 12 in verses 5 and 6. Where we read, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. You see, this is an expression of the love of God that he would not leave us to follow after the folly of our heart's desires to pursue sin, but rather that he would execute discipline, that he would seek to correct us, that he would seek to show us the folly of our ways. And sometimes the means by which he would choose will be most unpleasant to us. If you recall in the example of Gomer, God said that he would put a hedge of thorns around her so that in her focus, in her, 
her willful pursuit of those other lovers, that it would be most unpleasant to her, that she would bear the scars of those attempts to pursue her sin, that perhaps the cost would be too great. The rewards, those fleeting rewards of what this life has to offer would be shown upon those cosmic scales to be not worth the harm and the pain, the frustration. In what other ways was Gomer frustrated in those pursuits? It was as if God caused her legs to be shortened, that in her efforts to pursue those lovers... As she would run ever faster, she would fall further and further behind those whom she sought. Sometimes it's through that gift of frustration that God garners our attention and is pleased to point out to us the folly of those pursuits, those pursuits that would end only in frustration pain, or even our destruction. God disciplines us as an expression of His love. There was a time in which it seemed fashionable for parents to consider themselves to be merely the friends of their children. And so they would treat their kids as if they were just their fellow friends. The problem was, in so doing, they would often abandon their parental duties. And at the end of it, they didn't enjoy the respect of their parents. They ultimately would themselves see that act of wanting to just be buds with their kids as being a very unloving act by those who were blessed to have those years of experience who would have had the experience of their own parents who would have disciplined them. You see, in that attempt to be palatable, in that attempt to be fashionable to our children, to perhaps even be considered by them to be cool, such aspirations Do not yield for us anything that is lasting. It is an unloving act. If you were to look at that little toddler who has many lessons to learn in life and you saw that one approaching the street and you thought to yourself, she'll learn on her own. Who am I to tell her what she can or can't do? Who am I to intercede? It would be an unloving act. In fact, there would be many even within the world who would look at you and say, you must hate your child. That you would not intercede in the presence of those dangers as the cars go whirling by to stop them as they take that first step off the curb, to give them a pat upon the backside, a scolding for 
there going out into that potential danger. Well, here we see an expression of the great love of God that he himself does not remain idle. He is not like the God of the deists. Those many of our forefathers in this nation looked at our God as one who merely put things into motion and then he steps away and he watches it play out. What an unloving act that would be if that were the way God acted. But that isn't anything like the God that is portrayed by Scripture for us. Again, I use sometimes the example of the gods of the pagans who when they go to their temples have to resort to clapping their hands or ringing bells. Why? Because they have to awaken their gods. Their gods slumber. Their gods need to be alerted to the things that are happening. But that is not the God whom we serve. The God who is contained within these 66 books is a God who is ever vigilant, ever aware, alert to all the happenings in what He has created. And one of the manifestations of His awareness is that He disciplines us, that He cares enough for us in the happenings of our lives that he acts. After he speaks to these matters of God's discipline, he then moves into verses 4 through 6. And you might have said such things to your own children as he here addresses Ephraim and Judah. Parents, you maybe have become frustrated at times. You maybe have come to the end of your human wisdom as to what you could possibly do. And you would echo these words of God. What shall I do with you? What more can I say, my son or my daughter? How many times do I have to repeat these same instructions? O Ephraim, or Judah. We may think as we read this that we're in the clear. These are questions that are expressed to Ephraim and Judah. But you don't have to read very far within the Word of God to realize that these are not questions limited only to Ephraim for her idolatry. These are not Questions that are leveled only to Judah because she puts her confidence in those other nations that surround her. This has been the bent of sinful man since the fall. This is a common question asked not of God only for these two nations, but we can hear our loving Heavenly Father Repeating this question even to us in relation to those besetting sins, those areas of our continued weakness, willfulness, disobedience to what we know He commands, that we might instead do what we want to do. 
What shall I do with you? He goes on to describe these sinners. He goes on to describe you and I as he uses the following illustrations. He says of them, Your love is like that morning cloud. A cloud that we see early in the morning and we may be tempted to think it holds a lot of promise until the sun arises and all of a sudden that little cloud evaporates. We're used to this, aren't we, in the Beaver Valley? You wake up in the morning and there's this haze that exists. You can hardly see the houses across the street because of that fog And you wonder, how long will this last? Doesn't last very long, does it? The sun creeps up. It gets to be about 8 o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden, that which had been as thick as what we call pea soup is gone. There's no lingering effects of it. And he uses this that we might better understand the fleeting nature of our affections. Sometimes you might have experienced this when you've gone to retreats or family conferences, right? You go and you're steeped in the Word of God all week long. You're surrounded by your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have that mountaintop experience. You feel renewed, rejuvenated. And yet how many days does it take before the cares and concerns of life begin to creep in, and that experience, the, the warmth of that experience at camp, fades away. Or perhaps you can remember seasons in your life when you perhaps attended a convocation service, a, a service held at one of these conferences where you were challenged to make a pledge to serve the Lord. And you came forward and you enjoyed a time of praying that God would be pleased to arrest your attentions in a lasting way. Perhaps for a time you enjoyed a particularly warm season of service due to that experience and then over time it fades. You see, this is, this is not something limited to Ephraim. This is not something unique to Judah. But this is an area that besets many of us throughout our lives. It is an area that we need to continually go back and reflect upon, crying out to God that he would maintain those fires once ignited, that he would fan them into full flame That our light would not grow dim, nor would our commitment to Him wane, but that it would continue to burn within us. You see here that He utilizes His Word. He says, Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light as He is pleased to work within us, as His Spirit is at work within us, as He continues that sanctifying work within us, increasingly we grow to appreciate and understand 
the light that is to be found and experienced from the Word of God. Rather than it be the last place that we would go for instruction increasingly, as He lays hold of us, we gravitate back to that which we know produces light that saves us those frustrations that have been ours in this life when we have sought to go it alone, to go it by our own understanding and wisdom in the dark of our own thinking that we might enjoy the glorious light of Christ to guide us in our decision-making, to shed light on that path that we are called upon to tread for Him in obedience to Him. A path, while difficult, at least is not so encumbered with darkness that we're feeling around blindly for what He would have us to do. Isn't that a loving God that we serve? That He's not made us alive and then left us without instruction, without guidance. But He revealed Himself that we might have instruction, that we might enjoy the light of Christ, that we might walk intelligently and confidently in Him. No, lest we think this is reserved for others. He moves on then to remind us of that tendency of breaking covenant in verses 7 through 11. But they, like Adam, transgressed the covenant. They have dealt faithlessly with me. Those places that were known to be places, high places, Places of worship here are described as those that were filled with evil. Now when he's speaking of Israel, he's addressing the liberties that they had taken under their own wisdom, apart from the word of God, to establish high places, to allow pragmatism to rule the day. Oh, it'll be easier, less burdensome for you. We won't make you go all the way to Jerusalem. We'll give you a place closer to home that you might worship. And we've decided to add a few things to our worship, taking on some of the accoutrements of those nations that surround us. You remember, you recall the practices of the Egyptians who fashioned for themselves those gods of cattle and worshiped them. Come, worship with us. Worship as the nations worship. Do it the easy way. Do what is pleasant, attractive, hip, acceptable. And perhaps the church will grow. Now God is here pointing out that all of those who were feigning some form of religiosity, all of those who were going through the motions of some kind of feigned religion were doing so in direct disobedience to the word of God. Their religion was worthless. Their sacrifices were unacceptable to God. And so they are likened as the sinners that they are, 
We think in terms of those who occupy the priesthood as being those who ought to be most righteous, most obedient to the word of God. And yet, how does God here liken those priests? He calls them robbers, conniving, planning, scheming robbers, looking for those whom they may beset, that they may plunder. This is the guilt of those of Israel. This is the guilt that later Judah would be known of as well. And lest we boast, this is our guilt when we too set up our own idols, when we seek to share our worship with any than but God alone. When we are seeking in our gathering together, perhaps merely to satisfy those around us, that they would see us checking off the boxes of religion, rather than gathering with a contrite heart, acknowledging the work of Christ, understanding ourselves to be now His servants, Freed from our once careless and cruel master. That we can do his will. Gathering for each service that we might grow in our knowledge of him. That we might grow in our capabilities to serve him. That we might grow in our obedience to him. Out of our love for him. You see, that's a different reason for gathering than they were gathering in Israel. It's a very different reason for gathering than many who who claim to be under the banner of Christ today, whose worship merely tickles the ears, whose worship seeks to be palatable, acceptable, relevant, kind, rather than true, rather than in accord with what God has commanded. You see, they had grown bold in their sin, bold enough to fashion their own priesthood, bold enough to craft again those calves to worship, bold enough to think they know better than God as to where they are to worship bold enough to put their own ideas before his commands. And oh, if we ended there, we might despair. But again, he reminds us that he is faithful. He disciplines those whom he loves. He is speaking to Israel here that they might be awakened from their sin, that they might turn from it while they may. He speaks to us tonight that if we have grown comfortable in our sin, that we too would repent, that we would seek his forgiveness, that we would flee from those temptations that may be common to us, that we may cling to him, that one who loves us, enough to discipline us, 
that we might be made righteous in Christ. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the many ways you have shown yourself faithful and long-suffering with us. For, Lord, we still contend with sin day by day in our lives. Lord, we are often guilty of not contending as we ought with that sin. But, Lord, it is so easy for us to grow comfortable in our sin Lord, to think that they reside too deep within our hearts and our minds. Lord, that they only find expression to us internally. But Lord, sin grows. It puts down deep roots. And it grows like a vine. And it does not leave the rest of our heart untouched, but rather it, Lord, is insidious. It grows throughout And the expression of it grows as well. So, Lord, as we read this, as we are reminded of your love as expressed through your discipline, Lord, may we turn from sin. Lord, may we repent of it before your throne of grace. Lord, may we not merely go through the motions of what we believe it is to be a Christian, But Lord, may our lives be so ordered out of a love for what we have been graciously given in Christ that we understand the life that we have, the gifts we've been given, the hope that is ours, Lord, is all a gift from you. And Lord, may you fill our hearts with thanksgiving that our worship would be motivated by thanks for what Christ has done. Lord, that when we experience your disciplining hand, when you rebuke us, when you correct us, Lord, that we would understand you as our Heavenly Father to be doing so out of love for us. For Lord, if you left us unchecked, Lord, we would know we are unloved. And so, Lord, help us to grow in our appreciation for the way in which you work in our lives to remove sin, to establish us upon that path laid out by Christ. And we pray all of these things in our mighty Savior's name. Amen.